when I was in India, those comics, they picked up on this YouTube thing way earlier, basically because that's the way Indians consume media, right? They have cheap data. It's like 10 bucks. You can get 180 gigs a month. Mm. And so they just watch everything on YouTube. And these comics who didn't have a platform because they didn't have comedy clubs or regular, you know, comedy shows to aspire to be on, they just started putting out this material on YouTube. And the comics that we performed with, one of them uh, has 1.2 million subscribers on YouTube. Wow. So, like, I mean, but that's only like 50 people in India. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah he, he's uh he's the least known comic in yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's the that's like the power of it welcome to the underground comedy podcast with sean joyce for more information about our live shows check out undergroundcomedydc.com Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. If you are in the D.C. area and you're looking to see some comedy, we got shows in two locations this weekend. We've got D.C.'s Best Showcases at Big Hunt this weekend. We'll have uh, Benji Himmelfarb closing out the Friday shows. And then we'll have Dina Hashem coming down from New York City to close out Saturday. Dina's been on Conan. Benji runs a Time Machine Roast. So check them out at Big Hunt. And then at D.C. Draft House, we will have Leonard Oots headlining. Leonard's been headlining with us for three years. He's a 26-year-old comedy phenom. He's already on a network sitcom. It's pretty impressive. You can get information uh, and tickets to all those shows at undergroundcomedydc.com. Our guest this week is Alingan Mitra. Alingan's a very funny comic from New York. He has appeared on Comedy Central and Last Comic Standing. He was also a writer on The Daily Show. In this episode, we talk about how he got started in comedy what it was like competing on Last Comic Standing and writing for The Daily Show, and what it's like trying to develop a following as a headliner. I grew up in Central Mass, Worcester, Massachusetts. Okay. And lived there my uh, my whole whole life until until college. Uh-huh. Um, so that was... What uh, did you study in college? Where? What? What? I studied psychology and economics in college. Oh, cool. I studied economics in college. Oh. So, we so can there be you go. That's that why sense. we get along so well. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so you study economics and psychology, and did you have an idea about what you wanted to do at that time? I had a couple of things when I was in, when I was in college. I had a couple of things that I thought about. One was I liked, uh, I liked real estate when I was in college. Okay. So I thought maybe I was going to pursue kind of like real estate. What year was this? This was when I was in college. It was 04 to 08. Housing boom. Well, so this is what happened. Uh, 08, I go through like uh, recruiting and I get a job as uh, in a consulting firm that advises real estate developers. Okay. Which is basically like right up my alley that's like what i wanted to learn right and uh i thought i could get like a lot of um experience in like different deals that way and then a week after i i graduate i mean the the week of graduation basically the uh market is collapsing sure right we had ben bernanke as one of our speakers and chairman of the fed and uh he came in he literally like gave us a powerpoint presentation as his 
commencement speech. That's cool. Of, of like that's a great commencement speech. No, 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 it was not. You don't. You, you don't want to have to. Like you just went through so yeah, much class. Right, okay, t- okay. And then you're That's like, all right, true. now yeah. one more class. He literally, so he literally <laughs> finished his speech, and the the class is supposed to present him uh, some like yeah, token. Yeah. He leaves immediately after his speech. Like I think he like literally like hopped in a helicopter. And oh, then, because it was an emergency going on. I mean, this was the economy was. Cla- I think yeah. like this was when they were deciding whether to bail out the banks. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was literally like that time period so uh the market uh collapses real estate absolutely collapses sure, nobody course. is giving capital to develop i get a call like a week after i graduate from the firm that i was hired for um and they're basically like yeah we are not taking on the people that sure. we hired <laughs> so yeah we're soon to fire half of the people who work for us if not everyone yeah um and so i was like oh okay all right um and then basically i found like another place a couple months later that was advising public housing authorities which was a little bit it felt like a little bit more socially good well sure of course it is yeah but it was not like i was bored man i was uh i literally like i would go through spreadsheets and then spend my time writing fake like news articles, like onion articles. Yeah, yeah. Like I still remember do you remember Rod Blagojevich? Sure, of course. <laughs> I remember like writing articles about Rod Blagojevich. Like that's what yeah, was going yeah, on in the funny. news at the time. Uh and then I would just sit and watch like Hulu, which I think was like newer at the time. Yeah. And I was watching like everybody uh not everybody it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Not bad. At work. Just like this is I, w- I had an internship at the EPA and you know that was like oh this is cool like mm-hmm. this is uh helpful and i was getting to do like you know minor economic stuff like actual um analysis mm-hmm. but the the pace of the place is was just so slow mm-hmm. and it was just bush was president at the time and it was just dead and they weren't doing anything well, uh, it's so different now yeah yeah <laughs> well there was a time when they then they started doing stuff for yeah. a while and now they're back to not not being allowed to do stuff again right. but yeah it is that is really the tough trade-off because uh the jobs i've had in private sector are a little bit more there's a lot more energy and because it's 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 about making money and about being successful and there's kind of some enthusiasm mm. but the jobs i've had that are more government related are um there you're doing good work but you don't get to do real interesting stuff and it's it's slow and it's the pace is it's tough yeah yeah you gotta and the other thing i think you do have to like love the mission yeah um that has to really spur you yeah in a yeah. lot of ways like a, so after after that job um I, I basically like quit after two months uh and then worked briefly with uh, my family has like a tax consulting practice. I thought that would be fun because that's like entrepreneurial. You get to uh-huh. do your own thing, which I was doing. But then I also thought maybe I'll go to law school. So okay. I, that I had like this interest in public interest law. So I did uh, an AmeriCorps program for a year Okay. where they basically placed me at a legal aid organization. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a year. And it was very eye-opening because I thought I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw like the work, I just didn't like 
I was too silly for it. <laughs> you, yeah, too silly. Yeah, yeah, need, it's too dry. To, well, you need to have heart, and like, I, I cared about the people, but not in the way you need to care about the people to be working on their cases day to day. You couldn't get fully invested in it. It was more. So there was like I, I still remember there was like a there was this panel that we did because me and like the other people in the AmeriCorps program, and um there were there were two women who were also played in these legal aid organizations and there was this guy and I could relate to the guy but basically what happened they were like um, asking questions about how you deal with because people are in like you know really um, desperate situations and you see some like really like you know sad stuff and they asked like the the panelists they were like how do you cope with dealing with it right and the first woman she said well I have um I have two things in my drawer mm-hmm. at all times. I have a box of tissues and I have a box of chocolate, right? Yeah. And the second woman, uh, she said, um, the way I cope with it is uh, I run. I have uh, I, I run yeah. and that just gets me in a good headspace. And then they asked the guy, like, what? Uh, how do you cope with it? And he was like, um, yeah, I just kind of like forget about it. And uh-huh. <laughs> it was like the these other women were you know they they're really, taking it on yeah. yeah they really took it on and i was like oh i relate more to the guy where it was yeah like, yeah yo in the moment it's like really you know heart-wrenching but then i i move on and i think that's good in some ways but also like you should be more right yeah yeah if you're I gonna agree. be doing it um so that that was uh that was that experience and then how did you get into comedy during that time, when I was a uh, when I was at a legal aid organization, um, I guess maybe a little bit before then, I had done an open mic, mm-hmm. and and then I started doing this um, AmeriCorps program, and I had taken some, I just done it for maybe like a couple of weeks, yeah, and it, when I had done it before the legal aid organization, and uh, then I didn't get back to it for months, and then a, um, there was a comic who had put together a fundraiser for a girl who had di- had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh-huh. And he reached out to me, and he was like, hey, man, um, this girl had seen you perform and loved your stuff. Mm-hmm. We're doing this fundraiser. Would you do it? Okay. And I was like, I haven't done stand-up like yeah, in, yeah. in months, I guess. Um, Hard to say no. Yeah, but it's a v- exactly... So, uh, so then I was like, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And then, uh, I, I started, uh, I went and did that show and it went well. And then I was how much like, time did you do? It was brief. It was like 10 minutes. Okay. Not too bad. And they're like, you know, they're, they're such a supportive audience. Sure. Of like course. They yeah. don't laugh. They're huge dicks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <It's like laughs> but people, when people will randomly ask you to do shows, they, they don't know. And sometimes they'll be like, oh, you know, just like do an hour, mm. you know, so they could ask somebody to do an hour who's never done an hour before yeah, because it's yeah, they yeah. don't have a concept. They of it. Right. Yeah. This guy was a comic himself. Okay. Oh, or at okay. least like had experienced enough comedy yeah. to know. And I was young enough in comedy where I didn't know either. Like normally I'd be like, uh, I would have asked like now if somebody asked me to do stuff, I asked like a hundred questions. Right. Cause I want to know before I go into it, what it's going to be. That time I was like, all right, fine. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, basically after I did that, I just like started doing it more consistently mm-hmm. and then much more consistently. And then, you know, as often as I could, you know, uh, once the pace picks up and was last comedy saying like the first, big thing that you got yeah um 
so a couple of things kind of fell my way uh, at the same time. Uh, I won the the Boston Comedy Festival. Okay. And I also did, interestingly, the um, Up Next, well, Comedy Central oh, yeah. Up Next thing. They were At that time, they were doing kind of like regional things. And I didn't make it through to whatever their <laughs> ultimate thing was yeah. in New York. But um, I fell under their radar because I don't think they had seen me ever before. Mm-hmm. And I had, a, I had, I think, like a really strong set. And they invited me to uh, audition for Adam Devine's house party, which was kind of like the right you know the five sh- minutes, the uh-huh. five minute show at the time. So simultaneously, when I got after the um, Boston Comedy Festival, I got auditioned for Last Comic Standing, and then also for Adam Devine's house party. Last Comic Standing, I got off the, w- <laughs> I guess the wait list. Like they initially didn't, and then got me on, and then. Uh, things panned out and then Adam Devine's house party happened. Uh, and so I actually filmed, I think Adam Devine's house party first, but it aired after. Last oh, okay. Standing. I see. But yeah, that was all kind of like happening at the same time. And then like Montreal also, I had like auditions for Montreal while I was do- doing last yeah. comic standing. So it all kind of like, so pretty quickly. And how, how far into stand up were you at that point? This was, um, I mean, I would say f- it would be th- three or four years, depending on if you count that chunk when yeah, I didn't do it. Right, right. Um, three or four years, so pretty fast, but not crazy. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was a, uh, it was like a, a right amount of time. Yeah. Um, to to get to be uh, doing the stuff that I was doing. And when that stuff was happening, at that point, were you? thinking i want to be a comedian yeah man um i mean once things started like once last comic standing kind of fell uh my way then it was like there's no reason not to make the most of this opportunity like i i had watched last comic standing growing up and i didn't when i was doing it think like i knew (laughs) I I knew people who had done it mm-hmm. or I had seen people who had done it and I didn't know if anything ever came of it. Right. And while I was doing it, I was of the same opinion where I was like, yo, I mean, it'd be nice to have like 30 seconds on TV, maybe, mm-hmm. but I don't know if anything will ever come of this. Mm-hmm. But, um, enough came of it. And a lot of people did watch it in a way that I didn't realize what was going to happen. Yeah. Like, I think it was a reboot and they did a good job of that reboot right at the beginning really especially focused, yeah yeah right at the beginning where there was like momentum and also like they focus a lot more on just doing stand-up than i think before they had done like kind of challenges and things that were okay kind of secondary to yeah stand-up. yeah so all of that w- worked for me because i was like yo if i can just get up on stage and do jokes that's the yeah. best way for me to get exposure yeah i think joke writers joke writers do the best in competitions mm. because you're, there's always short sets. You don't have a lot of time to establish personality. Yeah. And you're just going to go right into the jokes and they start working fast. I think, I mean, generally I agree with you. What was interesting was this was, Last Comic Standing was taped in this big theater. Mm-hmm. It was like, I mean, it was, a, it was either like a thousand to two thousand people. Maybe it was much less. 
but I think it was like sure. that, right? That's a normal theater size. It's normal theater size, right? And performance actually like played a big part, I think, in crowd reaction. Oh yeah, because because it's such a big space. Mm-hmm. If you are able to like sell your jokes or yeah. at least be a good performer, that works. Whereas I think a lot of comedy uh, competitions are either like much shorter, yeah, uh, or like in a smaller space. These were like five minute sets in a big space, and the guy who ultimately won it my year, Rodman, he's a great performer. Yeah, that's true. Like I, when I wa- I remember w- watching him live and being like, oh man, this guy's got chops. Sure, you know. And so, um, at least with the last comic standing in the way that it was done my year, which was like, people didn't call in to vote, which, cause I think like performance kind of gets diluted when you're watching it through TV. Of course. Um, this was like the judges were deciding, I guess maybe until the very end. Um, and so if you, if you hit it hard, I see how, yeah, I see how performance would be more important in that, in that respect. Whereas the thing that kind of worked for me in last comic standing which was like they had this comic comeback competition and those clips were basically put up online so it was like you get to vote uh for who you want based on these two clips and for me at the time i was you know much more like a just a joke writer and the performance was a little bit there but not in the way that like you know a a veteran guy would have it Mm -hmm. And it worked for me because those were like, you will go online and you see like, oh, three minute jokes yeah, yeah, versus yeah, three yeah. minute set. And, you know, if you're yeah. tight, that lends itself well. For yeah, t- I totally agree. Yeah. So then were you able to start going on the road after that? Yeah. So I was able to go on the road initially. Basically, I, I, I was I, f- I featured briefly. It was like I, I was already like kind of at the time he- headlining locally. Yeah. You know, there's like so a couple of um, B rooms and in w- the city. Were you living in Boston till this point? I was living in Boston. Yeah, okay. yeah. Last comic standing happened. And then I would kind of go to my brother's place who lived in New York. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like crashed with him. Yeah. And just like felt it out for a couple months. Basically, yeah, yeah. I was like, does it make sense? And um, when it felt like, yeah, I did. I just was like, all right, now I'll be here. Yeah, but um, yeah. So prior to that, I was in Boston, and I was, I was like, he- I just kind of started headlining. Feature, I'd been featuring uh, locally, and then last comic standing happened, and I started like featuring, kind of more like r- regionally, and then pretty quickly thereafter, uh, headlining. Yeah, and then like doing i think last comic standing had enough momentum or had enough viewership where they could kind of plug me in and be like oh yeah like the last comic standing guys were doing like the funny bones or whatever comedy clubs um and i got to get in there and i think did well enough where they were like all right we'll we'll continue to work them and then um did you you ended up becoming a writer for the daily show yeah was that much later that was yeah, that was a that, that was a couple. I think that was maybe uh, like uh, two years after. Did you have other jobs in between, like comedy jobs in between? I wrote for Adam Ruins Everything. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I had I moved out to LA. Basically, <laughs> I, this is weird. I I'd gone to India, uh, 
for a, a wedding mm-hmm. uh, and then came back, got the call like from the airport that was just like when, when I landed in New York, that was like, hey, you know, we liked your packet. And um, I had done like the interview before I had gone to India and they were like, you know, we're want you to be on writing staff if you want to move to L.A. for a couple months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like. All right, let's do it. Sure. Uh, so yeah, so then I moved to LA, wrote for Adam Ruins Everything, and uh, while I was writing for Adam Ruins Everything, I submitted another packet to The Daily Show, where I had basically I'd made it to their final round before, mm-hmm. and so when they were looking for another writer, they kind of like hit me up and they're like, "Do you want to submit another packet?" And I was like, "All right." And so uh, that's how that happened. And like right after my season wrapped up for Adam Ruins Everything. I wrote for uh, The Daily Show. And how long did you write for them? I wrote for them for, uh, I want to say it was like a little under a half a year. It was during the election okay, not time. Okay, ba- not too long. Not long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's an intense time, though. Yeah, yeah. So there was like conventions going on, and we went to Philly. We went to Cleveland for the uh, um, Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. And, um, I mean, at the time, you know, it was... It's it's like I, I, it's kind of hard to like this uh, whatever happens with like this administration. It's kind of hard to move back two weeks and put yourself in the mindset of like what was going on, let alone like back then when it was like what this is not a actual possibility. Like it yeah. still did not feel like a possibility. Oh, I know. You know. Yeah. Um. And then uh, in, during the Republican National Convention, I remember like Ted Cruz came out. And he was like, "Vote your conscience." <laughs> and then Donald Trump emerged like a like a wrestler during his speech. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was mayhem. It was, yeah, it uh, absolutely was crazy. And there was like no, like it was like Tony Danza was like a speak, like you know, pe- there was nobody. There was whereas like with the Democratic convention, it, yeah, it had know, every celebrity. Yeah, which I I think I don't know. I feel like people don't like that anyway so i feel like i don't know if it helps to have like i don't think it really matters what democrats do i think republicans are going to vote for republicans Mm. and uh and i think there's a there's like a small group of people that could be swayed one way or the other and i think it's really just going to come down to like whether they like the candidate or not and i don't think like celebrities saying stuff i re- i just have a hard time believing that that's really pushing a lot of people over the edge yeah i i mean i don't think it is like a deal breaker but i think it does fit into a narrative if you have a candidate who people think is like elitist sure no and, i agree yeah you yeah. know and then it's just like oh well, we can use that as fuel for th- this narrative right um and that's where i feel like people are like they it's get starstruck but i do think that it's like a a, a trap that is impossible for democrats to to even be a part of just in the sense that if you're worried about fitting into their narrative, they're going to make up a narrative no matter what you do. Mm. Republicans will make up a narrative to make you look bad. Like it, like no matter what it is, they'll just change it to something else. They'll, they'll find something to pick on no matter what it is. Even if all the worst thing you ever did was have a private email server, that's what they'll make it. It's, there's no escape from it. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I, I, but I think like if you know what the narrative is, you also don't want to play into it. Like if 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 the if it's like oh, private email server is the narrative, mm-hmm. you then don't want to like go to 
a yeah yeah do your, email yeah. company and be like sponsor me yeah <laughs> right know? true that's true yeah, yeah yeah that's that's fair enough so anyway that was like early trevor noah days too that was early yeah 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 um and so yeah there was like there was a lot uh there was a lot in flux at the time um and i feel like there were like a, a lot of political shows that kind of just emerged in the oh yes and it could be john oliver john stewart yeah i mean there's a yeah there's and then even like you know because of the election like you know i mean colbert was always like a a political guy but he became very political yeah became very political like in a way that like prior to that i think he was kind of trying to get his footing and then like i think he was trying to avoid it for sure Oh, you think he was actively trying to avoid? Yeah, being I think the he was. Guy? Yeah, because I think he wanted to be for everyone. Mm. Uh, he was trying to be very broad, mm-hmm. and then I think events forced him to just say how he feels. You okay. know, I think he felt like an ob- like a moral obligation to speak out. Interesting. Which ended up working for him because he ended up being genuine, and people ended up liking him more. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think. I yeah I do, I absolutely I agree with that I also think that there was this like this huge demand for political comedy yeah yeah for sure for sure and he has like the chops to yes he handle does that in a way that you know he is the best at I mean Seth Meyers is very good also to be honest but yeah so th- yeah exactly so like Seth was doing it he was doing it then I feel like um there was a what was it like Robin Thicke had oh a, yeah had yeah a show basically it was just like. Yeah, and so did uh, Larry Wilmore. They, Larry, Larry Wilmore. Yeah, so that <laughs> that was all that was all going on at the time, and then you know Jordan got his show on top of that. Um, but did you like do? Did you like that job? The writing. Mm-hmm. I liked aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was tough for me is, like, if you want to be a stand-up, you basically are doing daily show from let's say nine to six thirty and in that time you are expected to be in your writer's writer's room um like in your office if there is any sort of like either you're working on an assignment that's been given yeah. to you which is fine because you're like o- occupied with work but when you're not let's say like the script has been submitted and they're working on the revision Mm -hmm. you're basically on call because they're going to be like okay we're reworking this premise and they shoot up to the writer's room and it's like here's the premise and everybody has to like put in the their punchline for the premise okay but as a result you are expected to be in the office okay and with adam ruins everything it was like we worked but we also had like time to walk outside yeah yeah and in uh the daily show you're basically in the office the whole time and then if i wanted to do stand-up which i did i'd go from that job to like the comedy cellar or wherever right it was doing shows and that becomes your next two to three hours yeah and then you go to bed and then you do it again yeah yeah and if that's what you want to do that's great but i think it's hard to generate material too yeah, if that's what you're doing yeah there's really a, a lot your brain's a lot of demand on your brain it's a lot of demand on your brain and also like i think you know jokes and the good material often comes from ex- 
experiences or doing stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, right. Having mean, a life, right? Yeah, even if it's like reading, unless you are like going to be a political comedian, in which right. case, like you're in the world that you're going to be talking about, which is great. Yeah. But um, it, I think it's hard, uh, hard otherwise to be like, oh, this is my my day job is comedy. Yeah. And then what are you going to talk about when you're at night? If you're talking about writing for the Daily Show, it's not funny. No, it's no. interesting, but it's not like oh, you know. Yeah, it's almost like people make. who have like more normal day jobs have more to draw from. Yeah, they're yeah they're more relatable. Yeah, yeah. So what did you do after the Daily Show? So after the Daily Show, and the, well, and so the, here was the other thing was like, I don't think people <laughs> come out to see a writer. No, of course they don't. Yeah, because they don't know they who don't the know. writers are. Yeah, they, I, I mean, I think pe- people who are maybe like one layer into comedy at least know that there are writers people right. who aren't even like one layer into, and i was the same way i was i like i didn't know I, like i just thought like seinfeld wrote everything right <laughs> yeah right, I, right, I didn't right. Know he had writers um like l- on his show yeah, yeah um yeah. so i think like you know people who watch like the daily show who aren't like you know one layer deeper just like oh this is basically trevor gets out there and he just talks for half an hour or whatever yeah i mean even if you know y- even if they say it's the Daily Show writers. It's still hard to care about it because they're still strangers. They're you know? still strangers. So, so unless you're on camera, it you aren't like getting people out necessarily. Yeah. And so, I think maybe if I had thought it through a little bit and realized maybe there's a path to getting on camera mm-hmm. from being a writer, but at the time it, that was that was very uncommon. Yeah. Um unless you were hired as kind of like a writer performer right yeah. off the bat. So, you know, so, so that made me be like, all right, if I want to do stand up, which I want to do, you basically have to find your own way of doing it. Um, so I went back to just, you know, doing stand up um, and kind of focused more on that than anything else. And that, that's what you've been doing for the past two years, basically. That's what I've been doing for the past two years. Yeah. And, uh, you're in New York, in New York City. Yeah. And do you do a lot of do you do club <laughs> spots during the week in New York? Or are you like do mostly doing uh, road stuff? Yeah. So I mean, I would say it it, it varies a lot. Sometimes everything just kind of comes at one point, and you're like on the road a lot, and then yeah. um, you're in the city a lot. But I would say maybe it averages out to like two weekends out of the month. Okay, that's where, a nice balance. Yeah, where I'll be either at a club or sometimes like a college or something outside yeah. of the city, like a private gig or something. Um, and then the rest of the time I'm in the city, basically, yeah, just doing club spots. And do you have ideas about things that you want to do in the future? Yeah, I'm getting more. <laughs> I it's so, it's so weird. Like, I think <laughs> when I got into it, I just wanted to do stand-up. Right. It's like... And I thought, and I think maybe, maybe in like the eighties or the nineties, even maybe early two thousands, even the idea was like, you get really good at stand up, mm-hmm. and you get your opportunities doing late night spots, maybe a, like a, a, a special. And that is what brings you to the fore. Right. But now, I mean, that's gone. That's it. It exists, but it's it's almost like you, even if you get that stuff, it's a roll of the dice as to whether it leads to people coming to sure. see you or you kind of a, you know getting getting what you 
one in terms of a crowd so now like my mind is much more on like and it i didn't want i don't think it wanted to go in a direction like this but i'm much more at peace with it and i'm okay with like doing it because i there is still like a little bit of like the entrepreneur in me that's like okay i think it'll be fun to kind of build your own thing Uh uh-huh so doing stuff and then putting it up online with um like comedians that i like is probably like much more the path that i would want to go now have you been doing sketches yeah so i filmed a couple and um me and a couple other comedians, we do this show called American Born Desi Comedians, which is Desi meaning Indian, basically, mm-hmm. or it's like South Asian. And we toured last year, and we went to India a couple weeks ago, and we basically like did a lot of shows and filmed it with comics in India. Mm. And the the format of the show is basically we all individually do stand-up, and then all four of us get on stage and do kind of like a mix of crowd work and talking amongst ourselves and it it works really well mm-hmm. and then in this when we did it in india we brought on the comic from india in each show so there was like four or five shows that we did and we did um basically like a q a thing with them but also it's that same idea of like we're going for yeah like you're laughs. yeah yeah, yeah. yeah and that worked really well and we filmed all of it so now we're in the process of like editing it and getting the clips from it and putting it so that we can like start creating that youtube channel to like push it yeah ourselves. right right that's yeah. a, that's the way to go right now i mean it's yeah i think it's f- i think what is fun is the idea of like i was listening to somebody talk about how like if you if you want to like do stuff you can build it but you might be building it on like rented land. So if they choose to to get rid of the land, which is, you know, there were like people who built all these things on either Vine Vine. or even like with Facebook, if they tweak their algorithm, you're basically like, oh man, I'm, now what? Yeah, they can erase you. They can erase you. But if you build something that people are connected to you, be it through like YouTube or through email, whatever it is that's like more a direct connection, that's a harder thing to pull away from you. So uh, I think that's like a, that's like a good way Also to like when even kind of like when the, the basic structures shift, like when it shifted from being able to do some late night spots and a special and then tore off of that and it has shifted to now, like, you, you know, you need a following mm. like when things change and for comedy clubs or the way people go out, if people follow you, as an individual, you will survive it because yeah. you can adapt to it because it's about you. People right. are coming directly to you. There's nobody in between. Right. Um, but it's so it's hard, right? It's like it's really you start from scratch, mm-hmm. and uh, there's an unlimited potential, but it's also like completely unknown. You know how it's gonna go. Yeah, and it's also I mean the skill like the skill set's different. Like you have to like yeah learn how to like almost like build this business you have to promote yourself yeah that's right and as a comic i mean what i got into it was for telling jokes on stage it was not to like uh, you know build an empire (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) but that's kind of the direction you have to go and you can either like poo poo it and just be like well that's not what i'm going to do i'm going to stick to the traditional path and if that's your choice that's your choice but if you don't 
and you want to adapt, you can also do that. You just have to like accept that that's what it is and then do it. You know, yeah. I feel like it's silly to be in a world where like that's what's going on. And then you choose to go the other way and then you just sit and complain. You're like, well, all right, you can talk about how great like CDs are, but nobody's listening to CDs anymore. So what are you going <laughs> to yeah. keep making them if you want? That's fine. That's your choice. But like, that's not how people listen. You know, I feel like um, just that mentality of especially YouTube uh, I feel like it wasn't something that people were really talking that much about six months ago. Mm. Like, you know, there were people that understood it and were, were doing that mm. six months ago. But I feel like just the shift in consciousness among comedians in general has come so far in the past six months toward that. And also toward the just putting out little bits of material all the time, constantly putting out yeah. little pieces of content. Yeah, I mean, I personally... Again, I, I, I kind of hate it. I hate it too. Because I'm like, dude, you know. It's exhausting. Well, it's not It's not just, uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a combination of like exhausting. And I do think if you're constantly churning out material, there is going, it's just a function of how quickly you turn things over. The quality is not going to be as good. Right. But again, if that's the world we live in, that's the world we live in. I can't really be like, oh, well, I'm a purist. I'm going to stick right. to constructing this you know really tight five minute set for late night that goes up and then you know x number of people see it and then mm -hmm. the, it's gone right <laughs> or i create you know bits that are shorter and maybe not as punchy mm -hmm. but you release them consistently and people come to like know you through it i think the one thing that um that i've seen that i like that uh sam morell has been doing a lot mm. is He's putting up a lot of these like short bits. I think he's pr pretty much just taping all the sets. Yeah. And he's putting out a lot of topical stuff. Stuff that's not really going to be able to stick around anyway. Yeah. So I think that that gives him the opportunity to write about topical stuff what he which he wouldn't be able to do if he was only developing an hour. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be worth it. Yeah. So you can do that. You could do it at the same time and then then it gives you kind of two different channels. Yeah, I I like of the stuff I, I'd release, I guess the stuff I'd prefer to release is either the stuff that's topical or, you know, there's stuff that happens during a show that's more crowd worthy yeah. and that's stuff that, you know, people like because it's like, oh, oh it's, it's cool. Off the cuff, no, yeah. And it's also not burning anything. You exactly. Know? So that's the, that's the other thing. But it's fascinating because like when I was in India, those comics, they picked up on this YouTube thing way earlier basically because that's the way Indians consume media, right? They have cheap data it's like 10 bucks you can get 180 gigs a month mm. and so they just watch everything on youtube and these comics who didn't have a platform because they didn't have comedy clubs right or regular you know comedy shows to aspire to be on they just started putting out this material on youtube and the comics that we performed with one of them uh has 1.2 million subscribers on youtube wow so like it, i mean but that's that only is, like 50 people in india <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah he, he, he's uh he's the least known comic in yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i mean that's that that's like the power of it you know yeah that's really cool yeah well man i think we've uh i think we've done a good job yeah yeah you I have anything so. you want to promote um i guess if people you don't want have to no i think i mean i guess i should the whole point of <laughs> that would be funny if like after all they this, could like, just ah. they can just be your fan they can be my fan uh if you go to my website alinganmitra.com uh and sign up for my email list i think 
what I'm going to do in the month of April is uh, the plan is to release some stuff that I think about in comedy uh, every day. And so if they sign up for that, they will get that. Okay, cool. It's 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 still like pretty vague and nebulous, but we'll uh, see if we can get you to one point two million. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the goal. All right, thanks, man. Thank you, man. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. <laughs>